This podcast brought to you by ACES, the American Society of Information Science and Technology, the Society for Information Professionals, by the IA Summit, the premier gathering place for information architects and other user experience professionals, by Boxes and Arrows. Visit boxesnarrows.com slash about slash participate to be a part of your peer-written journal. And special thanks to Axure and Morin for sponsoring Boxes and Arrows, as well as the many other sponsors of the IA Summit. As technology becomes increasingly portable, mobile, and ubiquitous, new challenges to traditional ethnographic user research arise. CEO Nate Bolt from Bolt Peters discusses the challenges and pragmatics of using new technologies and web services to document, broadcast, and involve stakeholders in mobile research as it's ongoing. I hope everyone enjoys the podcast. Cheers. Um, hi, everybody. Thanks for coming out for the 1030 session. There is no way that I'm standing up on this big-ass stage for this small of a thing, so I'm just going to hang out down here. Um, <clears throat> I was thinking it's a little claustrophobic, so I think everybody should move back six rows just to have some more. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so uh, the session that we're in today is called Portable Research, Observing Users on the Go and Why It Matters. Um, I really appreciate everybody coming out to the first block, especially those of you on West Coast time. I know it's like, what is it, 7.30? So, um, and thanks for coming to IA Summit, too. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to hanging out here. Um, so, okay, I'll start off with a little bit of background of, about myself, um, our company, Bull Peters, and then we'll jump into the talk. Um, so my background is in the social impact of digital technology. Um, which was one of those make-up-your-own-major deals at UC San Diego. Um, it was kind of a mix of cognitive science, social sciences, um, computing and the arts, um, and, and stuff like that. Um, it was really just a way for me to kind of get interested in the social and cultural impact of technology in people's lives. <clears throat> I took one class there called the Cognitive Consequences of Technology, which I, you know, that was my first exposure to the idea that um, there were people out there that cared about uh, the way technology impacts people's lives other than you know, so engineers. I didn't even know that that existed. So then I totally just fell in love with that idea and, and kind of have been working on those kinds of things ever since. Um, Co-founded a Bolt Peters user experience about seven years ago. And um, we're in the middle of writing a book for the Rosenfeld folks on remote research, which is kind of our, our shtick at Bolt Peters. We, we do a lot of that um, kind of research and some other stuff too. Um, I'm also number one on Google for remote robotic dog treat. So um, that, uh, that's something. Um, so uh, just about today's session, I would love it if you guys uh, tweeted your questions. Um, and you can use this hashtag. You can also get up to the mic and ask the questions. That's totally legit. And this is going to be completely open discussion. So. You know, we got a half hour, ask questions anytime, um, all the time, comments, heckling, fruit throwing, all that is totally cool. It's going to be real casual. Um, if you feel like tweeting them, the only benefit is that I can look at the end and see like if there's more than one of the same kind of stuff, I can address those. If I'm feeling super slick, I'll try and check it while I'm talking, but probably not. Um, and if you haven't used uh, Twitter to ask questions before, feel free to ignore me and sign up for an account while I'm talking. So. Um, so Bolt Peters, we're located in San Francisco. We do primarily remote research, as I was saying, which is just observing people's screen and talking to them over the phone. We also do some video game research and automotive stuff, um, field research and, and uh, stuff like that. 
Um, been around for seven years. Oh, thanks, Peter. <laughs> Does that sound like an auction? Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> thanks, Peter. It's the ducks. What? Oh, God, I thought it was an auction. <laughs> also, we have a magic door. That is sweet. Um, so. <laughs> Awesome. All right. Woo! -hoo. Peter Meryls. Thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, okay. So, uh, this is the uh, number of user research studies that we've done over the last seven years. Um, I've kind of been, you know, either indirectly or directly involved in almost every single one of them. Um, that's the number of one-on-one -on -one qualitative participants that we've done, which is, I don't know if that's depressing or good, but that's how many. Um, the, you know, for all sorts of folks um, all across the map, um, what, you know, different kinds of uh, industries, all that jazz. Okay, this number is important. So this is the number of simultaneous projects we have going on right now. This is the single busiest quarter in the Bull Peters history. And the only reason I'm saying that is because I'm so sick of sitting in sessions. There were six at South by Southwest last week which were how to survive because things are all crappy and it's the apocalypse and everything's going to die. So for the session for today, things are awesome. Can we just choose to do that just for today? So, <laughs> um, all right. So I think this might be the first question that you guys have. I think it's a really good one. Um, and so to address it, um, we'll just we'll start off with what it's not. Um, so uh, uh, for, for the purpose of this talk, we're defining portable research as any kind of research that involves mobile or location-dependent interfaces. So things like GPS, mobile devices, um, sidekicks, PDAs, whatever. Anything that's out with you, out and about. Um, this was user number seven's dog. Um, the participants in the case study of the study we'll be referencing today had a lot of pets and kids, and that ended up being a big part of it. But it's not about the dogs. Um, so, so what? Like. Who cares um, about portable research? Why does it even matter? Um, well, I think anybody doing research on interfaces sort of touches portable research. Like whether or not we like to think of ourselves as working in the mobile space, it's, it seems like just all of a sudden overnight we all do, just because people access stuff you know all over the place now. And that could be right now it's obviously on a, a mobile device, but it could be from their cars directly. I mean, it's it's happening so fast. So. How many people here do design research? Awesome. So everybody, pretty much. Killer. Um, and um, how many people do that in the lab? OK, a, a little less than half. And how many people do it out in the field? Oh, OK, more than half. Sweet. Awesome. Um, and can, for the people that are doing um, not in the lab types of research, can you guys shout out like different what kinds of stuff you're doing, just out of curiosity? If anybody feels like shouting. Okay. Store observation, homes and offices. Okay. Hospitals. Oh, great. Dental offices. Say that counts. Um, and what's that? Funeral homes. Wow. Holy cow. <laughs> and is it kind of uh, like follow-alongs, like crazy ethnography? Okay. <laughs> Okay, okay, awesome. Um, so th this, the method that we're going to be going over today is 
pretty similar to probably what you guys are already doing. There's just a couple small differences. Um, and one of the reasons why I think it matters <clears throat> is because it's so easy. The, the, the first part of the talk, um, the sort of, um, uh, I guess, the case study or the how-to is really basic. We're going to learn in probably like seven minutes uh, the entire breadth of what we did differently in our, in our portable research study. And then I kind of want to talk about why it matters. Um, so we're going to split it right in half. Um, we'll start with the how-to. Okay, so uh, more raising hands, and then we'll be done with raising hands forever for this talk. So um, <laughs> while you're driving, have you ever used an MP3 player? Awesome. Talked on the phone? <laughs> Sent a text message? <clears throat> Looked up directions? Tweeted? Wow, really? Awesome. Facebooked. <laughs> this is, I think, is mostly embarrassing for me because my hands up like the whole time. <laughs> um, used your laptop. <laughs> I'm so glad it's not just me. Last time I was the only one. Um, used GPS. <laughs> typed out GPS voice commands. Okay, I get to lower my hand. Oh, good. And then made flashcards with the voice commands. <laughs> For your wife. Okay, no more hands, finally. What, I mean, so, <clears throat> this really isn't working out. I mean, it's like we all know this implicitly, but this is crazy. I mean, the amount of technology that we're dealing with literally while we're piloting a 3,000 piece, pound piece of metal is over the top, you know, and manufacturers are aware of this, um, you know, and so, uh, the, the major auto manufacturer that we worked with was particularly aware of this and was interested in designing some technology solutions that didn't just pretend that the only thing that you have to look at and do in your car is the dashboard of the car, that we all bring multiple devices into the cockpit with us. And they wanted to understand how they could sort of look at that fact and design um, prototypes and future iterations of the in-car experience for, you know, 10 years out, something like that. So the idea we had is like, how, you know, how do we really study effectively these crazy new interfaces? Um, and on one level, you could say, well, you just sit in people's car and watch them use a bunch of different devices and report about it. But we felt that the big challenge for this study was getting the design team, which was located in one country, and the engineering team, which was located in another country, to both be inspired to get on the same page that uh, the uh, car manufacturer had already identified that one of the reasons that we have ended up <clears throat> with the state we have is because the engineers and the designers aren't necessarily working together. Um, and I think, you know, it doesn't have to be a car company to see that happen. We probably all see that happen all the time. So, um, you know, the, the idea we had is if we're going to study this crazy stuff, let's use more technology to actually study it, which may seem like a really bad idea, uh, but here's what we did. So, the uh, um, basic part, just to start off, we did sit in people's cars. So, we did, we chose 14 participants in San Francisco and LA, seven in each. Um, we did about three hour sessions with each person. So, nothing crazy, you know, pretty standard. We gave them a $250 incentive for their time. Um, we had one researcher and one camera person. The researcher sat in the back seat and the camera person sat in the front seat. Um, and we also uh, got permission from all these participants to use their images publicly, in case you're wondering, so they, they're signed off. Um, and then the only thing we did differently was we decided to broadcast the whole thing live. 
So we wanted to involve people, everybody live in the field research. So to do that, we just got a 3G card. Um, how many of you guys have some kind of Evdo or you know, Sprint type of 3G card for your laptop? Okay, so a few. Um, you know, it's like, what is it, like 50 bucks with the plan? It's, it wasn't a big deal. Um, and then we also got an additional, an extra um, webcam. And the webcam clipped on the laptop facing outward so that the researcher was sort of pointing at the subject. And then we just used Stickcam to live stream the entire thing. That's pretty much it. Um, the only other thing we did was we used IM. The researcher used IM during the whole session to communicate with everybody on the team. So there was, you know, our direct clients, but there were also stakeholders just chiming in, um, telling the researcher, ask them more about what they just did, you know, in, in the front seat there, like what happened. So that, uh, uh, along with spare batteries, is really, that's it. That's the whole how-to. I mean, that's, that is the whole methodology behind a portable research. Um, you know, I think the, the main reason why it became important is because we wanted to look at the points in the study where people's use of the technology um, involved their environment. And us as researchers, even if we like get good at understanding the study, we don't know nearly as much as the client. Like they're the experts on this stuff. So having them IMing with us the whole time was totally awesome. It was, you know, and we, we're used to doing that stuff with our remote research, so we're, you know, used to kind of IMing and talking to people at the same time, which I guess everybody's used to that. But uh, in the field, it was a totally different experience. And having um, this sort of page where people could go, just a URL where people could go to and tune in to the, you know, during the days of testing, tune into the research and see like, oh, they're going down Highway 5 right now. You know, what are they talking about? What are they doing? It added a sort of excitement, um, I think, inside that organization around the study that was totally different than any other of these kind of studies that we've done. You know, people were so happy to tune in live. And almost everybody involved with the project at some point was sort of watching and listening live and, and piping in with questions and stuff like that. Um, so the other, other specific goals that we were looking at was, you know, how did they modify devices or use devices in combination during the study? Um, how did their um, sort of home and work life uh, get reflected in their use of the devices? And this user was really interesting. She split her purse up into business and pleasure. <laughs> so um, I don't know which side is which in this photograph. I can't remember. But um, her whole life was really, she was self-employed, and it was really important to her that everything be divided that way. So her use of the devices also reflected that. Um, <laughs> so it was just, you know, it was the kind of thing, I think when it happened, um, you know, somebody on the client side said, like, wait, can you ask her about that? You know, like, why does she do that? And we as researchers might not have even known to bring that up, uh, but it was this, this huge thing. So I'm going to play you some clips of what it looks like side by side now of the live streaming and the sort of in-person view. What they're saying and doing isn't that important in this clip. It's just to give you an idea of, of the difference and what it looks like. Nothing that exciting happens, but... I've been on top of it, Lonnie. Oh. That's right. Come on. Got it. Grab her by the legs. Get her little arms in. 
and how do you know where to go? Just because there's There's usually a guy sitting right there. Yeah. Or somebody sitting right there. There is not now. What do I do when I want to see Aurora? Yeah, we're if I can't, you keep tabs like, only if I wonder, I'm, I'm on the freeway, I'm wondering if she's asleep mm -hmm. or, I'm like, you're too quiet back there, what's going on? Um, she has some pictures that okay. I've uh, taken down off Flickr, okay. and um, there are two little tabs up there, and we stick the pictures underneath the tabs, and she can look at them. Those come with the car, or? Yeah. Right. I mean, it's an improvised okay. thing. So, you kind of get the idea. It's pretty choppy, but the audio comes through perfectly. You know, so the, where 3G is as it stands in our country, it's at least good enough to stream the audio with no problems. Um, the, uh, the other thing that, that was really important for us is, it was kind of mentioning, just having an easy single URL that people could go to. Um, StickCam gives you an embed code that you can plop down in any website. It takes roughly 12 seconds, and then you have you know, the whole thing, uh, there's no big setup or, you know, blog in or like conference call to join or any of that hassle. It's just easy for the observers to get involved. Um, the only other thing that was sort of required for this method, and I don't know if it's really regarding the live streaming, is we just had crazy forms for them to fill out. My favorite of which was the please drive carefully form. <laughs> um, which just says that just because we're observing you doesn't mean it's our fault if you hit something. Um, so, you know, this is kind of, uh, this is the how-to, you know, just the mobile broadband, the webcam, the stick cam, a couple spare batteries, and being able to IM with people live, and then, you know, a bunch of long legal forms. That, that's really the whole, that's the whole deal. Um, you know, obviously with any kind of sort of hack of existing technology like this, there's going to be a bunch of stuff that sucked. One of which was that, you know, it's not reliable at all. So. You know, we never set the expectation with the clients and the designers and the engineers that like it was going to be some perfect live streaming event that was like never went down because it dropped the stream dropped all the time. You know, go through a tunnel, whatever. Um, so we sort of set the expectation that like, hey, um, pipe in, listen. If it works out, great. If not, you know, just hang out for a while. The way that most people did it, and this was interesting for me, is they just opened it up in a tab in their browser, put a pair of headphones on, and all day long they just kind of listened for something that sounded interesting, then they would switch over IM us if something came up. Um, obviously, it's, it's time consuming. You know, you already have a bunch of stuff that you're doing as a researcher. Question? Good question. Yeah, we, did, we also were recording locally. So both and in two places, the laptop was recording locally and the, there was a camera person recording. Yeah. And the question was, did we also record locally? Um, it's super awkward handling the laptop. You know, like, I think the, the primary researcher also felt that they were kind of like a camera person. So you know, you're kind of like walking around with your laptop, one-handed trying to type, or like an, even a netbook. And it's, it's kind of awkward. But I feel like we're at the beginning of the sort of live casting type of technology, and that's only going to get easier. I'm sure you guys have seen the TED videos with all the e small little live casting stuff. So I feel like as a researcher, this is sort of a practice that will get easier over time. Um, and, you know, the, the other downside is you still have to do all the other crap that a researcher has to does, and you're, like, running this live casting thing. So it's, like so many of the research studies we do, kind of stressful or chaotic, 
Other question? Really, another good question. So, how do we recruit? Um, we used a company called Davis Recruiting um, that's in the Bay Area. Um, they're our favorite recruiting agency. Um, we just, you know, standard, we gave them the screener and they found folks on that one. Um, we actually, we didn't, this is probably like the only study we didn't run into any challenges on recruiting. Uh, the biggest thing that we did a little bit differently than normal was we required that people had destinations that were part of their real lives that we could go along with them with. So we kind of, we, had, we gave Davis a set of questions to sort of suss out if they were giving us fake destinations or not. So we ended up with a lot of like kids' birthday parties, um, school events, things that we could verify were like real, and people weren't just making up that they had to go somewhere just because they were excited about participating and getting the money. You know, so we, because we wanted it to be someplace real. Um, that was the only challenge um, in this one. Um, so, also, you know, obviously it's not, oh God, it's not feasible to use the laptop while you're walking around all the time. Um, and, you know, I mean, we, we tried, but, oh, sweet. Nice. Wow. That's bold. So I just switched to a Mac like three weeks ago. One of the primary reasons that I switched is because <laughs> I heard they crashed less. But <laughs> apparently, that's hilarious. Does that happen a lot on the Mac? Oh, my <laughs> So I haven't yet switched fully into Keynote. I see. Okay. I'm holding on. I'm holding on by a thread. That is hilarious. Any other questions while I'm fiddling? When Keynote crashes, it crashes gloriously. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> That's awesome. Another good question. So did we do a full day study? Uh, we just did three hours per participant, one to two participants per day. So um, only three hours. Um, okay, sweet. So, um, but sucked. All right. So, okay. So, who cares? Like, what? I mean, what does it even matter? Use a webcam and a 3G card. Wow. I mean, it's 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 not the, the it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Um, but I, I actually think it is kind of important, and it's important because I believe after 10 years of delivering information to clients, that giving information to people is one of the most useless forms of getting anything done. Um, and I kind of feel like inspiring people is way more important than giving them information. So we've done you know, research till our ears turn blue on all sorts of different stuff. And people were like, this is great. We're never going to do any of this stuff. Because you know, we have this giant list of reasons coming into this research and list of tasks uh, about why we should do what we're going to do anyways. And that doesn't go away when you give somebody a bunch of detailed information. Um, so we kind of asked um, the Bolt Peters clients, you know, like, what does this type of, of research accomplish? Um, and we did a little survey. So this was one answer. <laughs> um, burn. Um, this was another. Um, you know, and then this kind of stuff happens. You know, any of us doing research, think, you know, on an incremental improvement. Um, and then what was interesting for this one is th this actual car study resulted in the whole team being super excited. Now, if you're working on concept car dashboard prototypes, I feel like that's already pretty exciting to begin with. So I'm not saying because we did portable research, it got the team excited. But I've never seen, in any research study we've ever done, I've never seen more people be involved from the client side. I'm, I don't remember how many, but it was a lot. 
that, you know, because we got emails from people, the stream is down, I can't, you know, I, I am June, you didn't respond, um, all that kind of stuff. Um, so we also looked at the industry, um, you know, to see, like, w w what are people saying, what's the general consensus, and, you know, there's, of course, the mantra of, like, screw user research, you know, just build it for yourself. Um, there's also the, you know, <laughs> We don't really believe in research at all, just ask Steve. But, you know, for, like, for our friends that work at Apple, they say that this is actually total BS because they do do user research. They just do it with the same user over and over and over again. <laughs> so, so um, and then just a few days ago, I don't know if any of you were there, but at South by Southwest, Kathy Sierra of, of, of blogging and other internet fame, you know, sort of had this whole talk. And the, the main point of her talk that was tweeted a billion times was for incremental changes, ask your users. But for the really big stuff, for the breakthroughs, you know, ignore everybody, be brave. And I love the be brave part, um, but I, I feel like um, it's kind of looking over the inspiration that can happen, the empathy that can happen in some kinds of user research. So, um, and I also asked The Face, um, which is this interface list in San Francisco run by the esteemed Jeff Veen. And people on there said, like, hey, you know what, there's been tons of bold, transformative, amazing interfaces that have come from research, not from um, one, one man or one woman's vision. Um, windowing UIs, like the whole foundation for our desktop computers, came from research. Um, if you expand the notion of user research to include um, things going on in the real world, then you know, Flickr and Twitter are great examples of, of inter amazing interfaces that evolved from research. Um, and the Palm 5 IDO is all about research. So I guess what I'm trying to say is um, I feel like this, this kind of research and research in general can inspire like transformative interfaces and, and, and anything that we can do as researchers to make it more exciting or like more um, engaging for our audience I think makes a big difference. Like that, that, that helps things be successful. Um, and, I, and I think uh, I remember the keynote from two years ago. I think it was Mr. Merholtz that said one thing that unites like all of us IAs is that we care. You know, like we're idealists. We work on these things not just to like make a buck or like be successful. That those that might those might be factors, but ultimately, you know, we want to make a hit. Like we want to make something that's really cool. So, um, you know, I think the question is, how does portable research help? Um, and I think it just all it does is inspire. Um, and it, just maybe a little bit more than other forms of research. And th what this is that, that came out specifically because of the client viewing live was a photo that one of the moms had stuck in the headliner of her car, and the client really was interested in that. They wanted us to at probe deeper, so we were like, okay. And it turned out that she used Flickr tags to jot down her daughter's interests, you know, or, or not really interests, things that like calmed her or soothed her. And then she would print out those photos from Flickr that, you know, that her daughter sort of liked and stuck them in the headliner. It doesn't take like a, and this, the mom said this was like a huge thing that she did. She, she had like a stack of photos that she rotated in the headliner because for whatever reason her daughter would just stare up and like be a little bit more mellow of a passenger with that stuff in the headliner. Now it doesn't take like a genius technology leap to figure out that the auto manufacturer could think about other ways to incorporate technology in future interfaces that would help parents with that kind of exact situation you know, in the back seat. So I feel like that was you know, one really specific example um, 
of uh, the way that the portable research was a little more, tiny bit more inspiring than other kinds of research. Um, and that said, I think it also unites. You know, as you guys have known, when you get a ton of people working on a project, the, one of the biggest challenges is that stakeholders kill ideas, you know, not intentionally. <laughs> um, there's nothing wrong with them. They're not, you know, we're all stakeholders too. It's not that stakeholders are somehow bad. And, you know, individually they're wonderful people. But there's something about large teams, especially at giant organizations, that has this um, sort of process of, like, eliminating risk and stomping ideas into the ground. And I feel like any, any kind of other inspiration that we can offer uh, helps with that. And also, you know, it's exciting. It's like, live stream, really? You're streaming from a car? I'm totally going to listen. You know, so it gets people engaged. So that's it. Thank you. <laughs>